Take your Bible for just a few minutes with me, if you will, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in a series of messages entitled, Dear Paul. That was the video that I spoke over here a moment ago. Didn't mean to do that. But it's a series of messages about uh, the 1 Corinthians, about the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're actually in the fourth chapter. And this is the second message from the fourth chapter. I want you to follow along. We're just going to read five verses here. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then each one's praise will come from God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the beautiful music that we've just been listening to, the music that has moved us in worship to you. And Lord, for the entire weekend, incredible weekend that our young people have spent together and the Jason Levins band has spent uh, bringing the music to them and leading them in worship. And Father, I pray today that as we come now to this message, I pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts. We've worshiped in music. Now, Lord, we want to worship in the word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God says to us. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to give you a little bit of context of what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in these first five verses. If you've been with me in the series, you probably know the context, but for those of you that might not have been here, let me just back up for a few moments if I can and provide some context. The Corinthian Christians had been very critical of Paul. Part of that is because they didn't find in him the eloquence and the wisdom and the charisma that they and that Greek culture so treasured. As a matter of fact, when you read through 1 Corinthians, you discover that Paul says some of these very things about himself. For instance, in the first chapter of this book, he says that Christ sent him to preach the gospel, but then he says, not in words of wisdom. Well, wisdom, that high-sounding wisdom, uh, the kind of wisdom that the Greeks were used to was something that they looked for in a speaker, and because Paul didn't come speaking in that fashion, they lost favor. He lost favor in their presence, uh, especially in light of the fact that the man Apollos was noted as being an eloquent man who was mighty in the scriptures. Uh, a little later in chapter two of this epistle, Paul says that his speech and his preaching were not in persuasive words of human wisdom. He didn't come to impress the people. He didn't come with his own charisma, his own wisdom, and his own eloquence. He came in the power of God, but the Corinthians weren't impressed by it. A little later in the second epistle to the Corinthians, uh, he writes about what some of the people were saying about him. He, he says that they tell you that my letters are weighty and powerful, but my bodily presence is weak and my speech is contemptible. That gives hope to preachers like me, that your presence is, is weak and your speech is contemptible. And that's how they looked at him. 
The Apostle Paul said in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians that he says, I am unskilled in speech. So you begin to get the idea. This is the man who came to the city originally, preached the gospel of Christ to the people of Corinth, won them to Jesus, discipled them, organized this church into a body of believers to carry out the mission of God. And yet now they're becoming very critical of him. They're starting to move away from him to the point that some say, well, I'm of Paul. And others say, I follow Apollos. And others say, I follow Cephas. And still others say, I follow Christ. And they didn't say, I follow Christ in the sense that we would think of it. They were saying it as a self-righteousness. I follow Christ. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I, I follow Paul. And Paul is deeply disturbed because this kind of Arrogance and this kind of pride is creating division in the congregation. They're one against the other. They're, they're going at each other. Well, what are you doing listening to Paul? You should be listening to Apollos. Or you don't want to listen to Apollos. You want to hear Cephas. And they're going at each other. And there's division that's grown up because of this kind of distinction that's being made. And so Paul comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and he says, wait a minute. You should be thinking about us completely different. Whether it's me or whether it's Apollos or whether it's Cephas or any other of the speakers that come to you, you should be thinking about us completely differently. You should see us in verse 1 as servants. And we talked last week about devoted servants of God. And that's what God calls all of us to be, devoted servants. But then he gives a second word in that same verse. He says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. They're not only servants, but they are dependable stewards. And we're going to talk about that word for just a few minutes. And then we'll talk next week in verse 9. He says, we have been made spectacles. And we'll talk about that. Spectacles. They are servants. They are stewards. They are spectacles. And each of those three words is a word picture. Paul is using the word to draw an image for you. In the last message, we talked about servants. It's the word for an under rower, somebody who's down in the very belly of the ship who has his hands on the oars and he's pulling at the cadence of the drum that is beating and they're all working together. He's not up here on the deck with the officers and with the captain of the ship or with the sailors of the ship. He's down here as a slave and all of us are to put our hands on those oars and we're to pull as devoted servants. But then he says, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. The whole idea of being a steward is that he is a household manager. That's what the word steward means. This household manager has no wealth of his own. What he has has been distributed to him by his master. He has his master's wealth, and he is supposed to distribute it according to the master's will and according to the master's direction. He's placed in charge of the finances, but stewardship often went beyond just finances. It often required that he would oversee the other household servants. He was the chief of staff. And he made sure that everybody else was working and the household was functioning as it was supposed to function. The steward could be even charged with the responsibility of raising the children, making sure the children were educated so that the steward didn't own anything that was his. It was somebody else's, but he was entrusted with these things and he was to carry out these matters in a fashion that demonstrated he honored the owner of those things. 
One writer says a steward is someone who's been entrusted with the resources of another. A steward stands in stark contrast to the consumer or user. And then he finishes by saying, the basis of stewardship is the recognition that God owns everything and we own nothing. God owns everything. And he entrusts to us responsibilities and tasks and opportunities. And he says, you are to be not only a servant, you are to be a steward. You are to be a manager remembering it's not yours, it's mine that I have given to you and I have loaned to you. Maybe if you're thinking about being a steward, you can think of it as the manager of a local restaurant. The owner is somebody who has built this restaurant He's found the location, he's built the site, uh, he's developed the menu, he's trained his staff, he's got everything working as it's supposed to work, but now it's time for him to step aside to do other things, and he entrusts this restaurant to the care of a manager. And that manager is supposed to carry on and take care of the things of that restaurant. He's to handle all of the problems. He's to make sure to fulfill the aims of the owners. He's to maximize the profits. He's to manage that restaurant. He doesn't own it. He's to manage it. It's been entrusted to him. This role, this responsibility has been entrusted to him. And he's supposed to take it seriously, recognizing that he's going to answer one day to the owner himself. In 1989, there was a family that was living in West Palm Beach, Florida, and they gave permission to a film crew from a popular TV show of the time to use their front lawn as a set for a dramatic car crash scene. While the front yard was being blown up, a phone call came from a man in New York demanding to know what was going on. And what they discovered was that the family who gave permission to use the yard were the renters. And the man that was on the phone was the owner. And as you can imagine, the owner was very upset. And he said he was going to hold everyone accountable for what they did to his property. And God's going to hold us responsible for what we do with the things that he entrusts to us. I'll take just a moment to point out to you that he says here in verse 1 that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. That has to do with all of the truths related to the Christian faith, but at the core of these mysteries is the gospel itself, that through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, any person and every person can be made right with God. And that was something that had been previously unknown but was now revealed, and the Apostle Paul had been given this, had been given this uh, stewardship of this incredible mystery, and he had a responsibility to make sure that he honored the owner's wishes about it. There's a funny story about an older lady who was determined to be prepared if, some, if someday she felt threatened while she was out. Well, one day she finished her shopping, and she returned to her car, and she found four men inside the car. She dropped her shopping bag. She drew out her handgun and she screamed, I have a gun and I know how to use it. Get out of the car. The four men jumped out and they ran like crazy. 
She was shaken up by the whole incident, but she loaded her bags into the back seat, and then she got into the car, and surprisingly, her car, her key, wouldn't go in the ignition. (laughs) Then it dawned on her, her similar car was parked four or five spaces further on down. So she did what she should have done. She loaded her bags into her own car and drove to the police station to report what had happened. Well, when the desk sergeant was listening to her tell this story, he started laughing so much that he almost fell off of his chair. He pointed down to the other side of the building, and there were four men reporting a carjacking by an old woman with thick glasses and curly white hair, less than five feet tall, and carrying a large handgun. What's the point of that story? I'm not responsible for what God's given to you, and you're not responsible for what God has given to me, but we are each responsible for what God has entrusted to us. We are to be dependable stewards. He says in verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful, that he be dependable, somebody who's reliable, somebody who understands his role in this entire process. And I'm not responsible for you, and you're not responsible for me, but we are each responsible before God. Your children are something that God has, or little ones that God has entrusted to you. Your job is something that God has given to you. Your ministry is something that God has given to you. I think of it as a pastor. This church is something that God has entrusted to me. And the responsibility that I have before God to answer to him one day that I have carried out the stewardship. This isn't my church. Sometimes people say, I go to your church. It's it's never been my church. It's not ever going to be my church. It's not my church. Whose church is it? It's God's church. Jesus Christ bought it with his own blood. You are his church. He is the head of the body. He is the great shepherd. I am an under-shepherd. But all of us have responsibilities and all of us have opportunities that are entrusted to us. And I'm not responsible for yours and you're not responsible for mine necessarily. But all of us are going to have to answer to God one day. And we have to be able to answer that we have been dependable stewards. And I like what he says here. He says that you have to be faithful. It's required that you be faithful. There's a lot of things that I can't do that maybe you can do and that you can do that I can't do. But do you know the one thing that all of us can do alike? All of us can be dependable. All of us can be faithful. All of us can be trustworthy with whatever it is that God has given. You'll never see me in a band like this. And aren't you thankful? (laughs) You'll never see me in a band like this. But you know what God has given me to do? That's what God intends for me to do. And what this band does, maybe they won't do some of the other things that we do, but the responsibility for them is to make sure they are dependable stewards of what God has entrusted to them. And that's what God intends for us, every one of us to be. We're to be humble stewards of the resources of God. I was thinking about stewards and There's a lot of examples of those who were stewards in the Bible. When you go through, you can remember Abraham had a steward. His name was Eliezer. And Eliezer was the one that he was sent to find the wife for Isaac. You can go through and you can find Herod had a steward. 
Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had stewards in the household that took care of the responsibility in Babylon. There, there are lots of people in the Bible, but I think the, the quintessential example, other than Jesus himself, the quintessential example of a steward is a man by the name of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? Uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers because of their jealousy into slavery. He ends up in Egypt in Potiphar's house. The hand of God is on Joseph, and Joseph demonstrates that he's a trustworthy, honorable, honest kind of a man. He gets promoted to a responsibility over Potiphar's house. Everything that Potiphar has apart from his wife, everything Potiphar has is under the control of Joseph. And Joseph is making it all function and work properly, and it's prospering as a result. Until, of course, Potiphar's wife makes a play for him and tries to seduce him, and the result is she lies about him, and he ends up where? He ends up in prison. Well, you know the story. He's there in prison for a period of time, but God ultimately delivers him out of that prison because he rightly interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh. And now he comes to be second in command in Egypt. This wasn't a few days or even a few years. This is a course of 10 to 15 years. And he rises to be the second in command in Egypt. He's gathered all of this food because a famine is coming. One day, his own family the family that had sold him into slavery, his brothers, they are out of food. And they're going to have to come down to Egypt. And guess who they're going to have to meet in order to get that food? They're going to have to meet Joseph. It's one of the most fascinating stories you can read. But it reminds us when you read the story of Joseph that he was himself an incredible steward of what God had given to him. He was trustworthy. He was reliable. He was faithful. He was dependable with what was entrusted to him. He recognized it wasn't his own. It was given to him by God. And he gave the very best that he had for the stewardship that had given to him. But something that I didn't notice until I was thinking about this story and rereading this story, did you know that Joseph had a steward as well? T take your Bible and turn back with me for, for a moment to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43, the brothers have come down to Egypt to get food. They're already into this process of interacting with Joseph. And you know, Joseph hasn't revealed himself yet as their brother. He wants to know, is his daddy alive? He wants to know as if his brother Benjamin is alive. He wants to know some things. And there's an interchange that goes between the men back and forth. But I want you to notice what it says, chapter 43, verse 16. It says, when Joseph saw Benjamin, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the, here it is, the steward of his house, he tells the steward, the steward's not the owner. The steward is the one who's been entrusted with responsibility by the owner. And he has to be faithful and dependable and honorable in carrying out whatever the owner wants, who is Joseph. He says, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal and make ready for these men. They'll dine with me at noon. So sometime in the morning, this is all unfolding. Then the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought that the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Look down, verse 19. And when they drew near, here we go, the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door. Down in verse 23, the steward says, Peace be with you. 
Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Verse 24, he says, so the man brought the men into Joseph's house. The steward brought the men into Joseph's house, gave them water, washed their feet, gave them water, washed their feet, made sure their donkeys were fed. Chapter 44, verse 1, and he commanded, Joseph commanded the steward of his house. Down in verse 4, it says, when they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, and it goes on. But here's the incredible thing. Do you know that never once are you given the name of this steward? This steward is never mentioned again after this story unfolds. This steward simply did what was entrusted to him to do. He made sure that he did exactly what he was told. He was there to refresh the guests and assured them that they would be well. He met their needs because that's what Joseph told him to do. And he simply fulfilled the responsibility of a steward. Have you ever seen that steward before? In the life of Joseph? What is a steward a steward is somebody who is a household manager. It's somebody who takes care of the responsibility that's been entrusted to him or to her that's given by somebody else, and they do it in a dependable fashion. Just turn back one more place in your Bible to Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about a steward, and we can't read the entire section. It goes from verse 14 to verse 30, but then I want to give you three thoughts in finishing. Chapter 25 and verse 14 I want you to notice what he says. Jesus is giving a parable. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And so what does the owner do? He takes what he has. He gives each of these stewards each of these servant stewards, a portion of his, of his, uh, his, his wealth, his, his goods. Verse 16, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. And he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, you can go on and read the rest of that story. All over the Bible, there are these pictures of what it means to be a steward. We, we like to think of ourselves, I think sometimes like the Greeks like to think. We like to be self-important. We want everybody to know who we are. We want you to know that we, we can throw our weight around. We, we want you to understand. And Paul comes and he says, not only are Apollos and Cephas and himself and the other leaders in the church servants, and stewards, and spectacles. I want you to understand, we don't own anything. Get rid of your pride. Get rid of your arrogance. And recognize that everything you have comes to you by way of a gift from the Almighty God. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. For who makes you differ from another? Well, the answer to that is God. And what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast 
as if you had not received it. Why do you walk around puffed up like you're somebody? Can I just say to all of us today, you may have a sense of self-importance, but the reality is, you know what we really are? We are servant stewards. And God is the one who has given us everything we have and everything we are. He goes on, verse 8, you are already full, you're already rich. Uh, you, have, you have reigned as kings without us. He's being sarcastic. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might reign with you. But I want you to notice something else, just briefly. Notice what he says in verse, uh, verse 3. He says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. You're evaluating me and you're evaluating Apollos and you're evaluating Cephas and you're putting us in positions where we shouldn't be placed and you're caught creating division amongst yourselves by elevating us to a status we don't deserve because we're servants and we're stewards and we're spectacles. He goes on to say, verse 4, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. Paul says, I, as sincerely as I can tell you, I don't know of anything in my life that's against God, but that doesn't justify me. But he who judges, he says, is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Now, these next phrases are tough. Who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, then... Each one's praise will come from God. You hear what he says? Why are you puffing us up? Why are you elevating us to a place we shouldn't be? Why are you living with this kind of arrogance and pride? Why are you in division with each other? Don't you understand? You're to be devoted servants and dependable stewards. All that we have has been given to us. God is the one who has placed it. He is the owner. And we are just simply managing what he's given. And that's the truth for all of us, isn't it? Amen? That's the truth for all of us. So let me give you three brief points of application. Number one, recognizing ownership is the first step of good stewardship. Recognizing ownership is the first step of good stewardship. And if you like to write out to the side, just put the words, be obedient. Whatever the owner tells you to do, do it. Be faithful. Be honorable. Be honest. Be obedient. Stewards are entrusted with managing someone else's possessions and people and problems and even their potential but whatever the owner tells you to do, be obedient. You don't own those things. God has given them to you. Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade. It's now called Crew. But he said, God has placed in our trust a measure of time, a unique set of talents, and sufficient resources to carry out his will for each of our lives. Our task, he says, as faithful stewards is to manage those blessings in order to bring the maximum glory to his name. We've got to stop and remember everything I am and everything I have is a gift from God and a trust from God. Number two, increased opportunity brings with it increased responsibility. Increased opportunity brings with it increased responsibility. 
And if you're writing out to the side, two little words, the words be diligent, be obedient, be diligent. That whenever God gives you something, he expects you to take it and to utilize it, but you've got to understand something. If God can't trust you with the little things, he can't trust you with much of anything. Did you hear that? If God can't trust you with the little things, he can't trust you with much of anything. And you take care of the responsibility God's given to you. And you know what? When God gives you greater opportunity, what comes with that is greater responsibility. And you have to be diligent. And number three, and finally, seek the praise of, of God more than the praise of men. Seek the praise of God more than the praise of men. And if you're writing two words out to the side, it's not be obedient, it's not be diligent, it's be patient. It's be patient. You can judge me a success, you can judge this band today a success, but one day we'll all have to stand before God and he'll bring to light the hidden things of the darkness. He'll bring to light the counsels of our hearts. We don't know anything against ourselves, but only God really knows us better than we know ourselves. And at the judgment seat of Christ, he'll reveal those things. And then you will have the rewards and the praise that come from him. And that's the praise that matters. Don't serve for the praise of people alone. Serve for the praise of the almighty God. You know, there's one last thing that I want to mention that God has entrusted to you. And that's time. God has entrusted to you these few minutes to be with us here today. And the question is, do you know Christ as your Savior? You're not promised tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or a week or a month from tomorrow. You have these moments that God has entrusted to you at this moment in time. What will you do with these moments? Will you come and say, God, I want to be that kind of good steward that the Apostle Paul said that he and Apollos and Cephas were supposed to be. And in these moments, can you say that you know Christ is your Savior? That if your heart stopped beating this moment, that you'd awaken in his presence to be with him forever?